Hello, everyone. I would like to welcome all of you to the latest installment of H2 Tech's podcast series, H2 Tech Talk. Today, we have a very special guest joining us, Richard Vorberg, who is the president North America for Siemens Energy. Today, we're going to be speaking with him about the Haruoni project, e-fuels production, and the outlook for hydrogen. Now, we have um, several items to go to within this installment of the H2 Tech podcast. So I do want to go ahead and get our special guests in here. So, Richard, how are you doing today? I'm doing greatly. Appreciate the time. Excellent. Yes. Thank you so much for giving us a couple minutes to talk about this, this, this really important subject that's affecting our globe right now. Um, so first off, I do want to jump right in here. Um, before we start getting into the meat of this conversation, can you just tell the listeners a little bit more about your role at Siemens Energy? Yeah, so, sounds good, Lee. So let me pull back a little bit. Let me start with uh, who Siemens Energy is. So uh, everybody recognizes, or hopefully everybody recognizes the name Siemens, but they may not recognize that there's a new company out there called Siemens Energy. Uh, we, we call ourselves the oldest startup around because uh, we, we pull of the legacy, the 175-plus-year legacy of Siemens, and we started out a new company about a little over 18 months ago now. We spun off of Siemens, and uh, we took all the, the energy side of Siemens and created a new company. So we've got the history and we got the past history, but we also got the new innovation. And part of that new innovation includes the hydrogen side, but it includes the traditional side, the typical power and uh, the power generation side, as well as the oil and gas side. They we call that sort of the industry, the industrial application side of it. Bring that together. We own two thirds of Siemens Gamesa, which is our wind turbine company, and we bring all those together. Uh, along with our transmission side. So all the, the transformers, all the, the pieces that make up the grid. So we kind of go front to back as Siemens Energy, as, as, uh, as a full-fledged integrated energy company is, is kind of the words that we like to use. So that's who Siemens Energy is. And uh, a little over a year ago now, I uh, was named the president of the company. I'm a, I'm, I'm a bit of a lifer around here. I started uh, just over 30 years ago uh, with, with the company with, uh, first of all, Westinghouse, and then eventually became uh, Siemens Energy. Uh, but I, I've spent my whole career with this company, uh, doing a little bit of everything from factories to field to projects all the way through. And uh, it's been an exciting career. And uh, and uh, just about a year ago, as I said, uh, I, I was uh, granted the, the right to be uh, the president of this new company. And we're real excited about the future and, and driving the uh, energy change to go from where we are now when we're in energy to where we need to be in the future. And where we need to be in the future is decarbonizing as we go and uh, making sure that we're driving that as quickly as we can to uh, provide for a clean environment. Excellent, perfect. And thanks so much for that descriptions about uh, Siemens Energy, because that was one area that I was actually curious on and what parts uh, came with Siemens Energy. So so definitely thank you for that. And, and what we are, we are going to dive into this, to this topic of hydrogen. And I first wanted to start off about your project uh, that is going on in Chile, which is the Haru Anui project. So for some of the listeners that are not familiar with this project, can you provide a little bit more information about it and what's going on down there? 
Yeah, so this is a real exciting project. It, it's a, more in the pilot phase right now, but it, we quickly want to scale this up to make it a, a real feasible, uh, investable project. Uh, but initially what we're going to have is uh, a windmill that sits in uh, Chile. Uh, pr that windmill will produce electricity. That electricity then will go through our, uh, first of all, that's, that wind turbine comes from our uh, sister company, Siemens Gamesa. That'll run in through our electrolyzer that we make, our, our uh, PEM electrolyzer. The electricity goes into the PEM electrolyzer and out comes hydrogen and oxygen. That hydrogen then is converted through a series of, of processes to an e-fuel. That e-fuel then can be burned in a combustion engine like a car. So part of our, uh, one of our partners, Porsche, in this is, uh, you know, they're interested in uh, making sure that the combustion engine is, is you know, the, that are still in existence today, that there's e-fuels out there that they can burn. So they want to take that uh, e-fuel from Chile and bring that all the way to Europe and run it in the cars so that uh, the people that are running the cars in Europe can uh, can be burning green fuels in their uh, in their uh, normal combustion engine. So uh, really exciting project. Uh, you know, it's it's really uh, in the initial stages. We're really trying to drive it forward now, uh, and we've we've got to scale this project to make it a real viable project. Excellent, and I'm glad you mentioned the topic of e-fuels because I do want to go into that here um, within my next uh, two or three questions. So, with this Haru Oni project, what's so special about this project? And of course, you mentioned the the e-fuels uh, aspect of it. So, what's uh, what's what are the advantages of using e-fuels? Well, first of all, it's the you can put that into a, a, a normal car. So you don't have to convert the cars that are out there. You're able to take the, the fuel, uh, this e-fuel, and run it in, in a normal car. And, that, that, and then uh, in that process, you're not producing any CO2 emissions or any other emissions as well. So that, that's, that's the exciting part of this. And the other thing that's exciting is... Uh, it's taking renewable energy, renewable uh, wind that that's in uh, Chile, and in that area, Chile, there's a lot of. Uh, it's a really windy place, but there's no real infrastructure to take it from take uh, that electricity and get it out to where people need it. So, part of what we see is certain areas of our world have a lot of renewable energy, but how do you get that renewable energy from where, where it's available? And whether that be wind or solar or hydro, how do you take that from uh, the, the point of, of source and get it to the, the point of use? And this is a, a great uh, process on taking it from wind and turning it to, uh, to an e-fuel. And then you can transport it anywhere in the world because uh, otherwise electricity, you just can't transport anywhere in the world. And this allows this e-fuel allows us to utilize a, a typical way of transport to move uh, move uh, fuels from one area of the world to the next. 
It's an incredible project. And so I guess when, when I see a project like this, of course, the question always then comes up uh, when you're producing things like e-fuels that are being shipped to Europe. So how economically viable is this process for developing e-fuels? And of course, the next question is that I have, is it efficient? Well, and, you know, and that, that becomes a problem, it, but we, we've got to start somewhere because, uh, you know, as, as, as we say at, at Siemens Energy, we've got these things we call uncomfortable truths. And I'll throw these in as, as we talk here. But the one that I, I really like to talk about is renewables aren't free. You know, people say, well, the wind and the, and the, and the sun, you know, that's free. Well, they're, they're not really free. Uh, but what we've got to do is figure out how to make those economical. And if we want to try to drive uh, the, this energy transition, we just can't go around creating cool stuff. What we got to do is create cool stuff that's economically viable. And when we look at Hari Oni uh, project, that today, you know, financially doesn't really make sense. But because it's on a small scale, it doesn't make sense. And because the technology is new, it doesn't make sense. And what we need to do is work with our partners and figure out how to scale that process, how to refine that process, how to make it more efficient and get it to the point of being economically viable. And that's the other uncomfortable truth we like to use is we can't do it alone. I really wish we as Siemens Energy could stand up here and uh, put our hand on our hearts and say, we can do this all by ourselves. We don't need anybody else. But in reality, we need everybody to make this, this work, to drive the efficiencies in this, in this project, as, as well as in the energy transition. And, you know, and those, those partners are, include everything from, uh, you know, customers, engineering partners, uh, it, but also includes things like government, uh, ut uh, electrical utilities, and uh, you know we're we're part of the media here. Uh, you know this this puts Lee, you you're part of that uh, partnership as well to make sure that that uh, we're getting the message out and that we're driving these great ideas and, and getting everybody working together. Um, you know, so so that uncomfortable truth that I like to always use is we can't do it alone. And we truly believe we can't do it alone uh, because once once we come together as a group, that's the only time we're going to make something like this viable. Yeah, and that's one thing that I've always heard is it, these kind of projects and scaling these things up is definitely going to take a lot of collaboration. So, yeah, I totally agree with that. And 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 staying with the project, uh, you mentioned a little bit about it uh, about the wind that it, that's there in Chile, but. Why was Chile selected for this particular project? And as a follow-up to that, I'm kind of curious, what's the outlook for bringing this similar kind of production to, say, like the U.S.? Yeah, so first of all, to, to grab Chile, uh, why, why did we go to Chile? A couple reasons. So the first one is it's a windy place, as we said earlier. So it, it's a good place to, to develop. But the other side is, is part of that we can't do it alone is utilizing the government. So the government of Chile wants to really create a hydrogen economy and, and they're investing in, in, uh, in these processes as well. And, and they're making these pilots and these prototypes and, and really working with us 
and, and working with our customers and all the other uh, stakeholders to make this a viable. So, you know, a couple things uh, that really work together. You got the the environments, the right locations, but also the right incentives to make this happen. And and uh, you know, I, I, I'm a I'm a big believer in driving the economics of of programs and and we shouldn't do a project unless we see at the end it's going to be economically viable but uh at the same time we do need incentives along the way we need the government we need other incentives to help uh fund the r&d to help fund the development and, and that that that's why we see uh the uh Chilean government really coming to the table, really helping uh, this project along and creating a, a, a really unique opportunity here in the location. So that's why we ended up in Chile. And uh, what do we see in the U.S.? We do see some opportunities in the U.S. We see a, a project in uh, Texas that this same group is, is looking at right now and uh, and trying to make it, it viable and making it uh, scalable right out of the gate. So uh, uh, the one here in uh, Chile uses the wind as renewable. Uh, the one in uh, in Texas that they're looking at right now will utilize uh, nuclear energy because uh nuclear is as as uh many of your listeners will know you, you don't ramp nuclear power up and down nuclear power you put it on the grid and you run it seven days a week 24 hours a day and uh when the grid's needs are high and low uh you know you end up time with extra power out on the grid and uh and, and that's where this process will take that extra power that's out on the grid, creating e-fuels in it. So this is, is starting in the U.S. I think there's some opportunities, um, you know, but 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 again, we're, we're needing to change the mindset of people. You know, what's important for us is uh, is everything all about the economics in the long run, definitely. But, uh, you know, as as we said earlier, renewables aren't free. And uh, there may be an added cost to uh, running our, our gas engines, our, our combustion engines in our cars. And, uh, and, and there may be a premium that uh, we, we need to, as users uh, of our cars, will, may need to pay in the future. So uh, I, I think as we change that mindset and we adjust that, I, I think we'll see more acceptance and more drive in the U.S., uh, to developing projects like this. Excellent. Yeah, I, I whenever y'all start developing that nuclear power one more, I would love to hear about that. It seems extremely interesting. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, so for my next questions, I do want to focus uh, primarily on Siemens Energy. And so I'm kind of curious is what role does hydrogen play in Siemens Energy's strategy particularly as regional hydrogen hubs are now starting to be developed, not just in places like the, the U.S., although we're speaking a little bit more about that, but just globally. We are seeing a lot of development when it comes to these things called hydrogen hubs. So I'm kind of curious how Siemens Energy strategy plays in that. Yeah, so Siemens Energy, we're, as I started at the beginning, we're a uh, fully integrated energy company. So, uh, you know, more unique than any of uh, any anybody else in this field, we go right across from from the whole energy field. And what that uh, gives us a, an advantage is we can look at a problem 
and we see it we we can see it in different lights if your scope is too narrow you're only looking at a problem with with that scope our scope is so broad so we can look right across and you know i use the old example of uh if all you have is a hammer in your hand everything looks like a nail we as siemens energy look across and we we can see problems and utilize our different areas and as we look at the energy transition one of our major areas is is the high utilizing the hydrogen side so uh, i think hydrogen plays a huge portion of what we see as part of the uh, the transition as we go from where we are today to where we need to be totally decarbonized in the future. Uh, hydrogen's uh, a major portion of what we feel that that growth is going to be. And the reason being is what we can see is we'll see hydrogen created, uh, you know, probably within the decade, we'll see it uh, very viable when it comes to the mobility side. You know, buses, trains, vehicles, we'll see hydrogen play in there. Uh, and then eventually we see it getting more into the industrial applications, ammonia, fertilizer, those things. And then as as it becomes the, the hydrogen infrastructure becomes even bigger, we see that moving towards uh, uh, towards the power generation side. So the beauty of all this is, you know, if you look at the power generation side, we're putting in power plants today. And we've got old, older power plants that uh, we can relatively easy today, we, we can relatively easy convert these power plants to run on 100% or sorry, 50% hydrogen. That techni technology already exists today. That The technology isn't an, isn't an issue around that. Uh, where, we, where we see by the end of 2030, that's where we're going to start to see all of our gas turbines, all our large and all the way down to the small, being able to burn 100% hydrogen. So that's why we see hydrogen as a real important part of our strategy. And, uh, you know, when it comes to uh, the hydrogen hubs, part of the infrastructure bill, they've uh, promised a number, uh, the, the government has uh, promised to fund a number of the hydrogen hubs. We are very involved with a number of, of our customers, as well as uh, uh, the other partners that we talk about when we say we can't do it alone, is academia. We're very closely tied in there. Uh, and we're working in a, a, a number of uh, different parts of the country on hydrogen hubs. Uh, you know, and we see hydrogen hubs going into typical gas turbines. We see it going into the industrial side. We see it on the solar side, on the wind side. We see it on the nuclear side. So we're, we've got our hands in each one of them as, uh, with, with a number of our other partners because as we start coming together, we're, we're going to have different hubs that run around the country that are focused on uh, on really trying to grow this and and I'm real excited about uh, what what the government's put in place the federal government's put in place uh, that they're they're looking to fund this because this is a good use of our taxpayer money it's driving research it's driving the technology here in the U.S. and, and when we can develop it here in the U.S. what we can do then is is take that technology and export it. 
because, uh, you know, as, as uh, one of my close uh, friends, a congressman uh, from Utah says, is when, uh, when, when you're in a room and you put a line down the middle of the room and say that half is smoking and this half is non-smoking, well, guess what? We're both in the smoking room. And that's kind of our world. Yeah. And uh, what we need to do is is figure out how to take that technology uh, as we become more and more green. If the rest of the world is smoking, you know, guess what? Our we're we're all going to be in that smoking world. And uh, we need to develop that, create jobs here in the in the U.S., develop that technology, and then ship it uh, overseas. And that that'll drive the the decarbonization in the world, but also make sure that we as, as uh, the United States say, stay relevant in all this as well. So I think hydrogen's uh, a great future, not only for our company, but for the environment and as well as for our uh, competitiveness in the future. Yeah, and, and I'm glad during during that answer, you, you mentioned about the future of hydrogen. And of course, the benefits are are very significant uh, over the next you know 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. So my last question kind of revolves around that, but the opposite side. So what do you see are the biggest challenges for both e-fuels and the development of this global hydrogen economy economy moving forward? So yeah, you know, I think everything always begins and ends with economics. So our biggest challenge is trying to make this, uh, uh, trying to make hydrogen economical. You know, and there's there's a lot of competing things out there that are are uh, that 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 will make power generation, and hydrogen being one of them. But today, it's probably one of the more expensive, most expensive, if if not more expensive than than all the others. Uh, Last year, I sat on the uh, the federal government's Department of Energy uh, hydrogen shot, and uh, as we rolled that out with uh, Secretary Granholm, and what we said, is, what they the DOE challenged us, and they want to do one dollar per kilo uh, within the decade. Well, today we sit seven eight dollars when it comes to uh, green hydrogen. And they want us to to drive it down to a dollar, and that's a a huge challenge for all of us. And uh, and if we can really drive that, that starts making the economics of hydrogen work. So we that that's got to be our focus. Let's make the economics of this work, and then we can start rolling out and making the. Uh, the hydrogen economy big enough. But the other challenge that we've got is mindset. It, it's easy to sit back and do the same old, same old, burn uh, our fossil fuels that are emitting, uh, that are emitting uh, carbon into the atmosphere. We've got to invest today uh, to, to start seeing the benefits for tomorrow. So when we, we change that mindset, where uh, people are looking for tomorrow and not necessarily for today. Uh, you know, I think between the economics and the, the mindset change, if we can overcome those two challenges, I think we drive a hydrogen economy and our world will become decarbonized uh, faster and faster when we do that. Excellent. Well, Richard, again, I really can't thank you enough for giving us a couple minutes today to chat about, one, the Haroni project, and of course, how Siemens Energy's 
innovating the global hydrogen economy. So again, we really want to thank you for stopping by uh, and discussing this with us. Um, and then lastly, of course, we want to thank all of you for listening to the latest installment of H2 Tech's podcast series, H2 Tech's Talk. Thanks so much.